Holy Father in heaven, glory be unto your name, for you have been good to us and you have done it again in sustaining us and making us to be among the living. Blessed be thy holy name, O Lord. Dear Father, as we fellowship with you now, we ask, Lord, that you would bless us again with your words. Your words are spirit and life. And it is only through your words that we can have that transformation of character that is needed for us to be like our Savior and to be in your kingdom. Therefore, we ask, please grant us of your spirit and give us the grace to have that change in our lives. Put your spirit upon me, O Lord, and your words in my mouth that blessings may be spoken unto all who are listening. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, November 21 Martyred for Christ And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Acts chapter 6 verse 15 Stephen, the foremost of the seven deacons, was a man of deep piety and broad faith. He was very active in the cause of Christ and boldly proclaimed his faith. Learned rabbis and doctors of the law engaged in public discussion with him, confidently expecting an easy victory. But they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. As the priests and rulers saw the power that attended the preaching of Stephen, they were filled with bitter hatred. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin council for trial. Saul of Tarsus was present and took a leading part against Stephen. He brought the weight of eloquence and the logic of the rabbis to bear upon the case to convince the people that Stephen was preaching delusive and dangerous doctrines. But in Stephen, he met one who had a full understanding of the purpose of God in the spreading of the gospel to other nations. In the cruel faces about him, the prisoner read his fate, but he did not waver. For him, the fear of death was gone. For him, the enraged priests and the excited mob had no terror. The scene before him faded from his vision. To him, the gates of heaven were ajar, and looking in, he saw the glory of the courts of God and Christ, as if just risen from his throne, standing ready to sustain his servant. In every age, God's chosen messengers have been reviled and persecuted, yet through their affliction, the knowledge of God has been spread abroad. When the noble and eloquent Stephen was stoned to death, there was no loss to the cause of the gospel. The light of heaven that glorified his face, the divine compassion breathed in his dying prayer, were as a sharp arrow of conviction to the bigoted Sanhedrist who stood by and saw the persecuting Pharisee.
became a chosen vessel to bear the name of Christ before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Martyred for Christ. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, a new church began and they had a work to do different in order from that which already existed. This church will be subject to much persecution and attacks. Why was this the case? We need to understand what happens to Satan after the death of Jesus to understand why persecution arose after the death of Jesus. Ever since Satan caused Adam to sin, that's Adam and Eve, he had become the prince of this world and this is what Jesus referred to him as several times. In the book of John 12 verse 31 for example, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And in John 14 verse 30 again Jesus said, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Also in John 16 verse 8 and 11 there, when Jesus was speaking concerning the Holy Spirit, he told his disciples, saying, And when he, that's the Spirit, is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And in verse 11 he says, Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So we see these three times, Jesus referred to Satan as the prince of this world. And two times out of that, he talked about the judgment of Satan. The time had come for the head of the serpent to be crushed and this was going to be done by the death of Jesus. Two times here Jesus says, he didn't say before now the prince of this world has been judged, he said now the prince of this world will be judged. When is the now he's referring to? This book of John 12 if you recall from previous devotions, it was here that the Bible says it was five days before the Passover, four days before the Passover, this was a few days to the death of Jesus and that was why Jesus said now the prince of this world will be cast out another one he said the prince of this world is judged hmm, the prince of this world cast out cast out from where Jesus was referring to the final decision that will be made on Satan let's go to the book of Revelation 12 to understand this in the book of Revelation 12 reading from verse 1 the Bible says and there appeared a great wonder in heaven a woman clothed with the Sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars and she being with child cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born and she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up unto god and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that she should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now in verse 7 it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Now this is my focus here. Remember that Jesus said, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Now verse 9 says, And the great dragon was 
cast out that old serpent called the devil and satan which deceived the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out at him let's stop here so i'm not going to go into so much detail on this prophecy we'll talk about it subsequently but the players in this prophecy are a woman clothed with the sun and the moon then there's a man child that rules the world with a rod of iron and there's a dragon who do all these represent the woman will see represents the church of god and let me show you why in the book of isaiah 51 verse 16 god said say unto zion thou art my people so let us have this zion equals to god's people also in the book of jeremiah 6 verse 2 god now said i have likened the daughter of zion to a comely and delicate woman so if you understand some uh figure of speech simile like an ass god says i have likened the daughter of zion to a comely and delicate woman so in symbolism zion is symbolized as a pure comely delicate woman but remember who is zion zion is not just a mountain zion is god's people so we can say god's people is symbolized by a pure delicate woman and also if we are not god's people the people who are not god's people that will be an impure woman if you go to the book of revelation 17 you see a woman that is not pure that refers to a people who are no longer god's people but the one who is god's people is referred to as this woman who is comely and delicate also in the book of songs of solomon 6 verse 10 remember that this woman was clothed with the sun and the moon here you see that this woman does not represent just one person it says who is she that looketh forth as the morning fair as the moon clear as the sun and terrible as an army with banners in this songs of solomon 6 verse 10 is symbolized again a woman but not just a woman but it's like a, an army it represents god's church again so that woman represents god's church from these passages i have read what about the man child that rules with a rod of iron one passage suffices to explain what that man child is or who that man child is revelation 19 verse 11 to 13 says and i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war remember that there was war in heaven let's go on verse 12 his eyes was as a flame of fire and his on his head were many crowns verse 13 says and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god amen now verse 15 now says and he rules them with a rod of iron who is the word john 1 verse 1 tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was the god and the word was god the word is jesus christ and it is he who is described in verse 15 that rules the world with the and he, that rules them with a rod of iron how about the dragon we've already seen in that same passage in revelation 12 verse 9 the great dragon was cast out and he's described as the old serpent called the devil and satan so we've got now answer the woman represents the church of god while the man that is born of that woman is jesus christ and the dragon is satan now from what we have seen here my focus actually is what happened after the man child was born and caught into heaven and then there was war in heaven and what happened after there was war it says that the the devil and his angels came to fight this devil that fought was cast out because he did not prevail what does this war represent there was a war of course in heaven before satan was cast out the first time satan sinned he was cast out but when he caused adam and eve to sin 
he was now the ruler of this world that's why jesus referred to him as the prince of this world the only way satan was going to be judged was if a man was there to decide the case between god and satan satan and his angels did fight a war in heaven before after which he was cast out but again while jesus was here on earth for 33 years there was constant spiritual warfare between himself and satan this is why before his death jesus said that judgment of satan was about to take place and he will be cast out as we see in john 12 verse 31 note these words now jesus said shall the prince of this world be cast out when is it now john 12 verse 27 jesus said now is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this cause came i unto this hour father glorify thy name then came there a voice from heaven saying i have both glorified it and glorified it again the people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered others said an angel speak to him jesus answered and said this voice came not because of me but for your sakes now is the judgment of this world now shall the prince of this world be cast out and i if i be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me this he said signifying what death he should die amen so when is the now that this that satan will be cast out when jesus dies on the cross of calvary jesus was actually saying that by his death when he is lifted up and crucified on the cross it will mark an end of satan's case and he will finally be judged many have wondered why it was that god did not judge satan from the moment he sinned suffice to say that god does not do mob justice every case must be properly weighed by a third party man was created to judge this issue as a jury but satan corrupted the jury you can read the book of first corinthians chapter 6 reading from verse 1 to 3 there and you will see that we are told that we will judge angels so man was like a jury for the case but satan corrupted the jury therefore his judgment was prolonged and his life extended because man sinned man became incapable ineligible to be a judge over satan's case because he was a sinner god could not judge him yet before this could be done man must prove himself a worthy judge and only a man who has lived free from sin is qualified to be a judge and also to save others from the hands of satan this was what jesus came to the earth to do from the moment jesus was born satan was in a desperate struggle for his life he assailed jesus every step of the way to cause him to sin but this did not happen now that jesus had died satan's judgment was sure jesus was now the judge and satan knew his case was over and that's why after that war in heaven in revelation 12 and satan was cast out in verse 9 it says and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and satan which deceived the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him and i heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our god and the power of his christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our god day and night satan was finally cast out of heaven and there was rejoicing his case was finally over but now this is what leads us to the case of stephen as a martyr things were going to take a new turn satan became in a rage 
different from that which he ever had before. His anger towards men, both those who believe in Jesus and those who don't, was increased, but especially against the believers. Verse 12 of Revelation 12 says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon, that Satan, saw that he was cast onto the earth, what do you think he's going to do now? He says, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, described as those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. This was God's church represented by the 12 apostles and the rest of the disciples, described as those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The first person to feel the fury of Satan would be this distinguished deacon and preacher called Stephen. Before this time, it was not normal that Jews would murder their fellow Jew just because of what they believed. Even the Romans, as far as the Jews were law-abiding, they would not do this to the Jews. But a new model of things under the inspiration of Satan's wrath would begin. Persecution and death awaited God's people because Satan knew that he had a short time. One day, this man Stephen was preaching. In the book of Acts 6 verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then the suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceased not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Amen. So here, we see lessons that we can learn. But let me continue the reading, first of all. Then, in Acts 7 verse 1, it says, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? Now, Stephen began to lecture them. He started from the days of the, their father Abraham and how God brought him out of Canaan, out of the idolatrous practices. And then he went to the captivity of the children of Israel in Egypt down to how God raised Moses to bring them out of Egypt and gave them a commandment and gave them a law and how God promised them of a coming Messiah. You see, those things that Jesus taught them in that 40 days, these men were filled with the Spirit. Why? Because they were filled with the Word. People, listen. To be filled with the Spirit of the Lord is to be filled with the Word of God. Jesus said in the book of John 6 verse 63, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. These men, look at how many of them. They were many. 
people from the Alexandrians, the Cyrenians, the Libertines, them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with just one man, but yet they could not find any way they could win this uh, discussion with Stephen. They, Stephen was able to dissect all they were saying with the word of God and prove to them their error and show them the truth. And part of the things Stephen was showing to them was the new model of things of how Jesus is the Messiah and how the ceremonial laws are now being fulfilled in Jesus. He would show them how Jesus was the Passover, how he was the unliving bread, how he resurrected as the first fruits, and how they receiving the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of that feast of weeks. They could not dispute anything Stephen was saying. And when he had showed them so clearly from the word of God, the things that were contained in there and the truth of what he was saying, the word we read said that Stephen looked in their eyes and saw that there was no escape for him. He knew that these people were hell-bent on killing him that day. It was revealed to him. And then he said in the book of Acts 7 verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which should before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Who have received the law by disposition of angels and have not kept it. The wrath of Satan was aroused now. Satan was working in the hearts of everyone there, including Saul. Saul was among those, which is Paul, was among those who were disputing with Stephen. But Saul could not. That great Saul that we knew about, Stephen was part of those who taught him what he knew. Stephen taught him and schooled him that day. Now they were all angry. Satan had filled them with that wrath that we saw that in Revelation 12, he was filled with great wrath against the remnant of God's people and then he came to persecute them through these men. Verse 54 now says, When they heard these things, they were caught to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Amen. Thus, the life of this man called Stephen came to an end. The first to feel the wrath of an angry dragon and devil who knew that he had a short time. Satan's case was decided and his wrath increased and he wanted to destroy God's people and he began with um, Stephen. But the Lord has already said to us, he had already told them that this was going to happen and we should also realize it. In the book of Matthew 10 verse 16 to 20, Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, 
and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Amen. This promise was fulfilled in the life of Stephen. He was given utterance as he stood to defend his faith. We read from Conflict and Courage, page 331, paragraph 3. As the priests and rulers saw the power that attended the preaching of Stephen, they were filled with bitter hatred. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin council for trial. End of quote. You see, one other lesson we learn from here is we shouldn't be like these Pharisees and Sanhedrin people. You see, when debate is lost and you start to use slander as your tool, then you show that you are on Satan's side. It is a common thing that they say when debate is lost, slander becomes a tool of the enemy and when debate is further lost, drastic measures such as the cruelty of death is also a tool in the hands of the enemy. This also is the case with many today and this is a character we must shun. This character of resorting to violence when we cannot with the word of God make our case known or this character of resorting to name calling, blasphemy, they just keep prove your point. They couldn't prove their point from the word of God. They just kept, kept on accusing, oh, this man has spoken blasphemous things. Prove from the word of God that he has spoken blasphemous things. Prove that he is speaking falsehood. Oh, he's, you start to accuse, he's proud. He's begotted. He is this. He is that. And then some people will say, oh, he's an extremist. He's a fanatic. Just prove that what has been said is wrong. When you find yourself in that condition where you cannot explain from the word of God your position or disprove another person's position with the word of God and you resort to name calling, be careful. Be careful. You are treading the same path of these Sanhedrin, Pharisees and Sadducees and the chief priests of the days of Jesus Christ because that was their way of doing things and it is the way of the devil. It is the way of Satan when you cannot prove from the word of God and then you go into violence. And this violence is shown in gossiping, in this name calling, when you cannot actually take the person's life. You take the person's life away and take the person's influence by gossiping and speaking evil of the person. And that is how we do our own persecution today, by mockery, ridicule, gossip and killing the person's influence by falsehoods and accusatory words. Sometimes you see men today who they know very well that maybe somebody is saying the truth instead of like i said showing from the word of god that their position is wrong or right whichever one what they do is start to give anathemas and call them red flags so this person is a red flag or just be careful why are you wanting people to be careful tell them why like jesus said about the pharisees the reason is they say and they do not be careful of the living of the pharisees which is hypocrisy jesus said so but to just call names for no reason like they did to stephen he's blaspheming yet you couldn't prove it that is a tool of the enemy and we should be careful not to go in that direction Another lesson that we are to learn from here, which we also learned when we were talking about the crucifixion of Jesus for reiteration, is how we are to conduct ourselves under persecution. Jesus said in the book of Matthew 5, verse 43 and 44, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you 
and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Also in the book of Romans 12 verse 17 to 21 we are told, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is a very important lesson for us. You see, if you remember how the Pharisees came into being, they were overcome by evil. When the Greeks were persecuting them for keeping the Sabbath and also following the law of God and refusing to be Hellenized, a time came when they had it to their neck and they started to overcome evil with evil by fighting the Greeks and killing them. That was what they did and that was where they lost it. Since the days of Matathias, when they started to overcome evil with evil, they continued to the day of Jesus. When they started to see good as evil, they used the same tool to overcome what they thought was evil, which was Jesus Christ, and they killed him. Now, Stephen also, because they had learned to overcome evil with evil by killing, they killed Stephen. You never know how far you will go. It is just a little spark that starts a fire. When you start with overcoming evil with evil by gossiping, by rev- by vengeance in speaking evil of those who you think have done you evil, you don't know where it's going to end. You might as well end like the Pharisees. But the conduct of Stephen under persecution is a well, a very good lesson for us. And what is the lesson? He prayed for his enemies and he shouted it loud, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge and he gave up the ghosts. Oh, that many of us may make this prayer. That prayer of of Stephen was heard on behalf of Saul. The Lord did a wonderful work for Saul, which we will see later. But we shouldn't be like those who, in self-pity, will be praying evil for our enemies. Some people love to go to the Psalms and say, Oh Lord, go and read those Psalms and say, Lord, punish them, do this to them, do that to them. But look at Stephen. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And he was practicing the teachings of Jesus where Jesus said we should pray for our enemies, love them, do good to them. And Stephen did the best he could for them. Having preached to them, they didn't listen. He prayed for them that God would do something good for them and the Lord did it. But while Stephen was dying there, it was a lesson to many. Like I've always said, persecution, the way we conduct ourselves under persecution will help to transform the lives of many others. It continued in this way, and it wasn't only Stephen. Many Christian martyrs, the way they conducted themselves was a reason for many others to change. I'll just use one example, two examples actually. One of them was a man called John Calvin, the one who started, I think, the Presbyterian Church. The Cal- and we had people who followed him were called the Calvinists. This man was just like these Pharisees. He was the one of those who consented and believed that those who do not follow the truth of the Roman Catholic Church should be stoned to death or burned or killed. But I read now from Great Controversy, page 220, paragraph 4 and 221. It says, While still engaged in these fruitless struggles, because even though he believed such things, Calvin was struggling with sin in himself, Calvin chancing one day to visit one of the public squares witnessed the burning of a heretic. 
he was filled with wonder by the way heretics what they called people who followed the truth in that in those days he was filled with wonder at the expression of peace which rested upon the martyr's countenance amid the tortures of that dreadful death and under the more terrible condemnation of the church he manifested a faith and courage which the young student painfully contrasted with his own despair and darkness while living in strictest obedience to the church upon the bible he knew the heretics rested their faith he determined to study it and discover if he could the secret of their joy in the bible he found christ oh father he cried his sacrifice has appeased thy wrath his blood has washed away my impurities his cross has borne my curse his death has atoned for me we had devised for ourselves many useless follies but thou hast placed thy word before me like a torch and thou hast touched my heart in order that i may hold in abomination all other merits save those of jesus amen end of quote what led calvin to study the bible was the conduct of a christian martyr under persecution that peace and what is it in practicality the martyr was calm he was not railing against those who wanted to kill him he was not in a rage and trying to escape and run away and cut off the ropes that they tied his hands with and then the people would be chasing him no he was calm ready to die just like Stephen and that calmness in the face of what the world dreads the most death was what made Calvin wonder where do these people get their power from and he knew it's the Bible and he went to read it and he was transformed again one time in France there was a wide massacre of many Christians. At this time, many people were transformed again. Reading from Great Controversy, page 226, paragraph 1, it says, The victims were put to death with cruel torture. It being specially ordered that the fire should be lowered in order to prolong their agony. But they died as conquerors. Their constancy were unshaken. Their peace unclouded. Their persecutors powerless to move their inflexible firmness felt themselves defeated the scaffolds were distributed over all the quarters of paris and the burnings followed on successive days the design being to spread the terror of heresy by spreading the executions the advantage however in the end remained with the gospel let's see how all paris was enabled to see what kind of men the new opinions could produce there was no pulpit like the martyrs pile the serene joy that lighted up the faces of these men as they passed along to the place of execution their heroism as they stood amid the bitter flames their meek forgiveness of injuries take note forgiveness of injuries transformed in instances not a few anger into pity and hate into love and pleaded with the resistless eloquence with resistless eloquence in behalf of the gospel amen brothers and sisters let us suffice to say we must learn to conduct ourselves under the little persecutions you see on the road how do you conduct yourself when someone short changes you when you are on the line in the atm or in any place and someone tries to do something wrong to you how do you conduct yourself? 
every persecution we face, do little. You don't need to be brought to a scaffold and almost wanting to be burnt before you manifest this character. Day by day we pass through trials. We must understand that the way we conduct ourselves under trials and persecutions, under injustice and oppression, and under the worst kind of cruelty that can be meted out to us, our conduct has a very great power to transform onlookers because we are spectacles onto the world, onto angels, onto men. People are watching us and if we give the right example, forgiving our enemies, being joyful even though people are oppressing us and passing along as if nothing has taken away our joy, people will watch us and it will transform them. This is the lesson for us. And as we read in Conflict and Courage, page 331, paragraph 6, in every age, God's chosen messengers have been reviled and persecuted. Yet, through their affliction, the knowledge of God has been spread abroad. When the noble and eloquent Stephen was stoned to death, there was no loss to the cause of the gospel. The light of heaven that glorified his face, the divine compassion breathed in his, in his dying prayer were as a sharp arrow of conviction to the begotten Sanhedrist who stood by. And Saul, the persecuting Pharisee, became a chosen vessel to bear the name of Christ before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. End of quote. So what are the lessons we have learned? Let us learn to know the word of God like Stephen, that no one may be able to gainsay the things we have said, that when we stand before men, we can prove our point very clearly. And let us also learn not to be like this Sanhedrist who even though they had evidences in the face of all that Stephen was doing, the miracles and his teachings, yet they will not be moved. Let us learn not to be like them, but allow the Spirit to touch our hearts and when we see the evidence of the truth, move in that direction of the truth. Also, be sure that when you come under such situations, which we will come to in the future, the Lord will put a word to speak in our mouths like he put into Stephen's mouth. And finally, we must learn to conduct ourselves properly under persecution. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you and those who despitefully use, uh, use you. Do good to them and you will be continuing in the work of an evangelist and win others to the truth. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we know that we have our own trials to face today just as Stephen had his. Please Lord, may your promises be fulfilled in our lives. Put your words in our mouth that we may know what to say to help those who are coming against the truth and help us father that by your grace we will love our enemies and pray just like Stephen prayed for those who killed him and I, I pray dear father that you help us not to have that antagonism towards the truth like the Pharisees and the Sanhedrist had please father forgive us for the times we have stood against the truth like Saul did and help us to stand on the side of truth we know that a time is coming when we will have to stand before people to explain the position of our faith. Lord, prepare us for this time that we may not be found wanting. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.
filthy places, forsaken, forgotten, our brothers and sisters are paying a price. They will not deny him to purchase their freedom, for these are the faithful, the martyrs for Christ. Twisted and broken, abandoned and beaten, their bodies confined and unseen sacrifice. But deep in their spirits, they know perfect freedom, for they are the ones who've been set free by Christ. From under the altar, the voices are crying, How long, Lord, till you come judge the earth? But he'll wrap and redeem them in robes of pure. Is the seed of the church. Oh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The deafening silence, the faithful refusal to doubt or deny in the presence of men. Live by his promise before his own father that in his kingdom he'll not deny them. From under the altar, the voices are crying, How long, Lord, till you come, judge the earth? But he'll wrap and redeem them in robes of pure seed of the church. Oh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the Cry!